0: Hello and welcome to the Mammal Podcast. I'm your host, David Wu, and in today's episode, I interview Akilesh Bapu, who is co-founder and CEO of DeepScribe, an AI-powered medical scribe that can listen to a patient's visit, write a clinical note, and then seamlessly inject it into the EHR. They're a pretty incredible company working on a very important task, especially in light of the ongoing burnout epidemic plaguing medicine. In addition to all this, Akilesh is a very cool guy, humble and fun to talk to. I hope you all enjoy this interview as much as I did. And don't forget to follow us on Twitter at The Mammal Podcast. So glad to have you on our show today. Uh, Akilesh, I was wondering if you could tell us about your path and how you came to the intersection of medicine and machine learning.
1: Absolutely, David. Thanks for for having me on the show. I'm excited to, to dig in. But I'll start with my background and then maybe I can go into the story of how DeepScribe kind of fell in my lap and then potentially talk a little bit more about the company, what we're doing, maybe our goals, if that sounds great. Yeah. Awesome. Uh, so personally, on my end, I'm pretty early on in my career. So I don't have you know a 20-year CV. But um, I went to Cal and spent the first couple years really in love with you know front end products. And my dream was to join a company like Apple uh, or Google and really work on front end experiences. And that's how I spent a good amount of my work experience. And then I kind of saw this opportunity, which came up over and over again, of voice and computer interaction, where in order to really kind of fuel the next level of I would say, intelligence, you would have to figure out a good way to bridge um, or for computers to really understand the complexity of natural language. So that's kind of what pulled me into the Berkeley research environment. And when I was there, I was basically devoting most of my time to pushing forward the boundaries of summarization. Uh, And summarization, if you're not too familiar with the space, involves taking some sort of unstructured text it could be a CNN, CNN article. It could be a PubMed article. Uh, but essentially, you have all this information, and you're trying to compress it into something that's short, understandable. Um, and there are a lot of use cases that spur from that. You know, from a court setting, you're looking at just taking notes. From a business setting, you want to see like what action items you come from and reading. Uh, in my specific case, we were looking at how to establish this sense of control, because a lot of the deeper mo- models um, do great, but then you sort of lose control over the type of information um, that you end up with. So we were figuring out how to augment these larger models with smaller models and kind of basically define what we want this, the, the models to summarize. So we, were, we had a breakthrough we made there, uh, which was really exciting. And then we used that. Um, the, the story of DeepScribe actually starts when I had these research findings and I was really excited about them. And I actually went back and showed my parents because that's the first thing you do as a, as a, as a kid in school. And uh, so I was showing my dad the demo of what we had built. My dad, by the way, is an oncologist. And uh, the backstory there is that I actually, as a kid, uh, didn't experience this problem firsthand, but basically saw secondhand the perfect lifestyle for my dad, which was one in which there was no EHR. He was writing down notes, just scribbling them down spending most of his time with his patients, very less time in front of the computer, to after he adopted an EHR system, it just completely changed on him. All of a sudden, he had to document everything. It was three hours in his day that he had to just stack on top of everything he was already doing. Um, And that bled into the evenings, that bled into the weekends. So as a kid, I kind of just saw this thing that was incomprehensible, where my dad all of a sudden wasn't able to come to my soccer practice, for example, um, or just, you know, the, the time was very limited. So um it was this problem in the back of my head i tried as a kid to you know get him on dragon vacation and some of the the state of the art back then but none of it really worked fast forward about as a a kid you tried to
0: get him on the dragon
1: (laughs) as a kid i googled around and found software for him to download and use uh and i mean bottom line nothing worked for him so back when i went that's impressive
0: (laughs) yeah i took the initiative
1: the yeah the power of search right um and so i in in college i was showing my dad the summarization tool and one thing that kind of just was bizarre to me was he started typing in a patient physician conversation instead of a PubMed article which he was supposed to be doing as part of the demo um and he said this one powerful thing which was if you can even get 20 percent of my note right it's probably going to save me an hour a day so that's why i'm doing this and uh that sort of blew my mind because on one hand i knew the problem existed back then but you kind of do this thing where you just assume that the problems of a decade in the past kind of just get solved by someone um and that's what i assumed about medical documentation and it's also it's not solved by you. about <laughs> 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 now it is yeah. yeah um back with medical documentation you know it's it's just something that never comes up in the headlines um at least back at the time when we were founding DeepScribe. And so we, you know, launched an experiment, uh, did a lot of research with both family, friends, colleagues, and figured out, you know, what the problem was here um, and why physicians were still spending so much time on documentation. Uh, and we found out, you know, a couple big things. One was that it was still very vides- widespread. I mean, you have certain clinicians that ha- have full control of their workflows and are tech savvy and can figure out a way to get it done. But then you have most of physicians that still have to rely on two tools. They either can use dictation. Uh, speech of text and and save the burden of typing, or they can adopt a human scribe or a virtual scribe that just comes in and follows them around, writes their notes for them. Um, But what was crazy is that human scribes, even though they've been around for a while, have less than 10% adoption, uh, which means that most physicians are still spending a lot of time on documentation. And if you really dig, you can see articles that talk about physician burnout and how they spend 42% of their day on documentation. People have collected stats around this stuff, um, but there is no good solution uh, what we also saw that was interesting was that pretty much every big company, um, as well as a ton of VC-backed startups, had tried to build a product to solve documentation. Wow. So you have, um, you know, Google that had a scribe that they worked with Stanford on, you have Microsoft with EmpowerMD. Uh, so, you know, you would surely think that this problem was solved. But I think one big opportunity we saw was um, that no one was really truly applying the state-of-the-art in tech to this problem, um, State of the art, in meaning, you know, these big deep learning models um, along with just the cutting edge and cutting edge and nlp collecting structuring and labeling the data thinking of the problem as an ml problem um, Mm. like a tech company would and and bringing that solution i think a lot of folks either had a non-technical background or um, had a background from healthcare and so we're kind of building things in between that didn't really work Uh, so we saw that opportunity and that's kind of what fueled deep scribe so at the core we wanted to build a product in which we could um, have with the magical press of a button, doctor record their conversation with the patient. And then in a few minutes the note would be generated, put into their EHR so that they could not just save a little bit of time on documentation, but take the entire documentation burden out of the process. Uh, and in doing so, you know, you're you're a medicine, so you probably already can predict like the the value adds of this, but you know, they can either see more patients, they can spend more time with the patients they have. They're probably thinking more about the patient's history and you know their cycles in their brain are thinking more about that than documentation but the thing that was most meaningful to me was just the work-life balance and the ability for a clinician to spend uh that time with family spend that time on themselves um and and just you know regain the balance that they had before ehrs uh so yeah that's that's kind of how i got hitched on the deep scribe and uh so far it's been great i know i've been talking a lot so i'll just say this last thing and stop there uh, no, please. We, you're the guest. Uh, <laughs> uh, so we launched the product officially in 2020, and uh, since then we basically grew from like zero customers to becoming a market leader or on par with other market leaders in clinical documentation, just in terms of number of clinicians we have on the platform. Um, that's what you know really helped us raise this past Series A. Um, and the the big validation piece we we got was that we were able to take this research that. Um, Is in the cutting edge and was previously only proven in a research environment, but bringing it into healthcare uh, and making it work in a in an industry with such a high bar for for accuracy. Um, so that's that's kind of uh, a little bit about DeepScribe. We've, we're close to about a million patients that we've seen so far on the platform. A million. Um, and wow. yeah, uh, so you know we've we made our mark so far and excited to continue growing. The team's almost 60 people now. It's uh, kind of wow. crazy how how time flies but, but yeah I'll, I'll stop there and happy to dive into any part of the journey yeah. or talk about any other topic that may be of interest
0: oh so many questions i got so many questions that i want to ask um where should we begin i'm curious what what specialties are you guys used in is it all of them or certain ones like emergency medicine oncology
1: yeah, the way we've structured our notes is one in which we only care about the information that gets retained from the conversation. So if you dig into like pretty much every medical note, um, there are very co- like key things that you want in that note. And then for every a specialty, the same key things are there, but maybe the the frame of reference is different. So in an oncology patient, you're talking about their cancer progression, you know, whether they had chemotherapy or not, their reactions from that. The primary care patient, you're probably talking about something different, but that information is there. So we train our models to retain that information. Um, and then we have ways in which we can customize that according to specialties. So the problem becomes more of a, how do we build customizations for specialties than to train mm-hmm. specific models for different specialties. So yeah. um, right now out of the box, we're able to support pretty much every specialty, but there are some customizations that we have to build in order to really, truly um, own a specialty so right now like our biggest user is primary care physicians mm. um, but also we we get a lot of love from psych docs orthopedic um, docs gastro uh, cardio and uh, a couple others
0: Wow, uh, I would I would love to demo this because uh, to give some context before starting medical school I was actually a medical scribe nice <laughs> and uh we used to, I was actually at my hospital, they transitioned from paper charts to EHR while I was there. So, you know, for oh, no, a period of time, sorry. I was actually like writing the paper charts, which is actually kind of cool. Like back in the day, they had just like, you would circle a little, they had a little pre-made mm-hmm. sheet for like different kinds of conditions and you would circle things um, like, oh, for like chest pain. Oh, did they have this or this? And then you <laughs> kind of circle it, and cross things out. Um, and then now, you know, as a, as a med student, I feel like, on clinical rotations, you're, you're kind of a scribe, you know, like you yeah. see the, the patient with the doc and then you kind of just fill in the note. Uh, and it, it, I would love to see, you know, how deep scribe um, summarizes these notes, you know, cause I do feel like uh, some parts it is pretty simple, but uh, you know, like I'm curious, h- how do you know, like what's salient or kind of, can you kind of share a little bit about the secret sauce of uh, how do you summarize and, you know, find like the important features
1: um, yeah, uh, of course, um, and I think the, the topic you brought up is a pretty interesting one because we focus entirely on clinicians that are practicing, but there's this whole other demographic, such as residents or med students on rotations that have to write notes, um, and it could, be, it could be interesting for us as a long-term investment to, uh, to kind of bring that state-of-the-art in tech to, to the learning process, but in terms of how the, the tech works, Um, and identifies what's salient and not salient. I think the short answer is that the way we've broken down the notes allows us to essentially train these larger models on it. And you can think of it very similar to a self-driving system where you have it's not one model doing the entire summarization. You have multiple models working together Mm -hmm. to generate a result. Um, And so one is, you know, an entity extractor and other ones could be a classifier Uh uh, and, and you have other types of models that are doing the same task. But we kind of merge them together and get a result that is robust and makes sense um but the answer to the salient versus non-salient is we've seen close to a million patients we have so many different examples of areas that are salient and non-salient um so we our models have learned pretty well what makes a medical concept and and what isn't at this point Mm.
0: um do you guys train in in like a specific model for each provider or you know what I mean? Because like different providers have like different ways
1: of yeah. interviewing. Yeah. Uh, so we try to stay away from that as much as possible um, because I think that's, that, that would require a lot of data, but also we would have a subpar product for each provider. So our solution uh, to that was, um, you know, we, we get the general information and we have an ontology that can be shared across multiple physicians. And then there's a customization layer that can kind of convert things based off how a physician likes. So if a certain physician wants uh their general section of the physical exam to start with well appearing and then another physician um wants something that says doing well they still map to the same like concept in our back end so we we train a model to support all of that but then on the front end we can you know reorganize or substitute out words um and make the notes look pretty catered to to Mm. what the clinician wants so that's that's how we've been able to just really fast scale up specialties because if you have to train a model for each one, um, it would, it would, uh, uh, take a lot of time and effort.
0: Yeah. I was wondering if you could walk me through like an example of from start to finish, um, using deep scribe, you know, like say doc walks in, starts the patient encounter, like, does he have to push a button? Does like, is there a special Mm -hmm. button on the EHR that he has to press?
1: Um, yeah, yeah, for sure. Uh, so in the very beginning, we were all about. I mean, we were we were researchers, and we wanted the best in audio. So we actually had, uh, and what we called an Alexa knockoff. So it was an eight-microphone array. It was a hardware device that we made in house, and it would just sit in the clinician's office in the corner. Each office would have a device, and they would go into their EHR. We would present the stop, start, stop button to them inside the EHR, and they would just click it, and it would start recording. Uh, so that was. Workflow V1, but with COVID and um, just the sudden demand that we had, it was almost impossible to ship devices to each clinician and set it up. Um, so we actually just figured out how to support the same fidelity of audio on an iPhone or any device within the Apple ecosystem. So iPhone, iPad, Apple Watch, and that's basically what they use today. So the clinician, uh, there's some backend magic that happens before the workflow even starts, but from a clinician's perspective, They have a list of patients on their phone, iPad or Apple Watch. They hit the patient, they hit the start recording button, and then just put it down and then talk face-to-face with the patient. And when they're done, they would hit the stop button. We allow clinicians to put in pre and post recordings if they'd like. So a lot of clinicians enjoy just doing a mind dump into their notes. And Uh, um, a lot of that doesn't happen in the conversation, right? So uh, we allow them to just give some context beforehand, like, you know, this is a... Thirty-four-year-old female presenting with, um, you know, chest issues or something of that sort, and then the clinician goes in, sees the patient, but the but D-trib already knows the context, which which is great, and it works. Um, and then once the clinician's done with that encounter, within two to three x the length of the conversation, so if it's a ten-minute recording, it'll come back in about twenty to thirty minutes. It'll be inside their EHR. Uh, so Whoa. they go back to their office and then sign off, or if they're using some of the more modern EHRs, they can just pull it up on their phone and sign off on the note there. But uh, that's the front-end workflow. And then in the back-end, you actually have uh, different parts of the um, integration, pulling in patients, surfacing the schedule, constantly syncing back and forth. And then also from a pushing note standpoint, you have the note being pushed. We have speech of text in the background. Um, that runs on the transcript uh, runs on the recording and then you have um, an ai that writes a draft and then oh. we actually have a team of like human contractors that are our versions of medical scribes um, oh no that, way yeah we do um and they they review the draft before it goes to the clinician um because so a lot of the people like that, with, that huh? they to read it they well. have to they have to read it like that and a lot of times they don't actually have to um do too much work you know it's all mm-hmm. around Making sure the content's there, making sure we didn't put something random in, or like the clinician um, didn't put the phone in a weird place, so there's no mistranscription oh, or anything like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but the the AI will help them write the note. Um, That's and, so cool. Uh, so we see them more as data labelers. But anyway, like <laughs> they're they, like the scribe within pre- the deep scribe. <laughs> exactly, exactly. And then once that finishes, it goes back to the to the doctor into the EHR, and uh, um, it's it's all it's all good then.
0: Wow. Does it also dictate um, or because, you know, there's like multiple parts to a note Uh, in terms of like the assessment and plan at the end where there's like a lot of that medical decision making that happens. Um, Right. Does the doc usually go in and edit that, too, or does it kind of come up with a pre-draft?
1: Yeah, usually we like to. So the. If it's in the conversation it'll be in the note. so if mm-hmm. a clinician's like oh, okay. uh you know willing to just talk in front of their patient that happens but the reality is that most clinicians aren't comfortable doing that so um that's where the post visit summary comes in so on the way like once they're done with the patient they'll quickly give a summary and the nice thing about that is it's like talking to a human so you don't actually have to visualize what you're saying and put in the punctuation and things like that like, yeah. you have to do with dragon you just sort of talk to it. So you, oh, say, that's so nice. you know, yeah, you say like this patient was 34, by the way, um, they came in with this, my differential diagnosis is, and then you can pause and then you can uh, recollect your thoughts and, and say things. And then each level will, like structured into uh, an MDM or an assessment or a discussion. That makes sense. Treatment that makes sense. Uh, so that's, that's kind of how I think most clinicians handle the assessment and plan.
0: That's super cool um i i'm actually not sure ab- about this so i know that billing with notes has like changed recently um mm-hmm. are you aware i actually don't know the answer to this but um like you know do you know how billing works with notes um because i've heard that in the past you know you kind of had to have like 10 points in the review systems and like physical had right. to have this kind of findings but like, i i think now there's a shift towards
1: more so just medical decision-making is that true or not right. or have you guys
0: like anticipated yeah, it's, that and...
1: it, it's true I think um at the end of the day for DeepScribe, we leave it up to the end user the clinician to kind of decide how they want their notes to be based off of like how they'll be build so you know the the shift uh, okay. to value-based care as you said puts a lot of emphasis on the medical decision making it puts emphasis onto the uh the time uh that the physician spent with the patient um, and, you know, the length of the HPI and things like that, that, you know, used to be important are no longer as important from a billing standpoint for some clinicians, but then for other clinicians, it is important. Um, so I think the the main thing that we just have to do from a deep standpoint is uh, support both of those workflows. So if a clinician decides to build their notes under the new like value based guidelines, then um, we support that. If a clinician uses the older guidelines, then then we can support that too. Wow, um,
0: how how would you say DeepScribe has changed from like you know, your the first fifty docs that you worked with versus like now?
1: Yeah, scale is tough, man. Um, I think in the beginning, as a startup, whether it's DeepScribe or anything else, um, your first fifty customers or maybe even less than that you will always know them like the back of your hands. Um, so you'll you'll know them by name, you'll know them by style, you'll know how much they're using your product. Uh, if they have any issue, you'll be able to get in front of it without them having to ask for it. Um, so yes, you have a product, but you also know your customers really well and like the founders are directly invested in making it an amazing experience. So the customers almost get this like supercharged version of the product. Um, but at customer like number 600 that we're at right now, it's... You know, you can't, if you ask me to name all 600 docs on DeepScribe, I wouldn't be able to. Um, That's awesome. You guys are at 600.
0: That's congratulations.
1: Yeah, wow. thank you. Um, so it all it all becomes a problem of how do you scale that amazing customer experience that you had at the beginning? How do you scale that quality of the product and consistency that you had at the very beginning? How do you get in front of bugs? How do you get in front of potential impediments? Uh, so it all becomes a problem of process, um, bringing the right people on board onto your team, um, that you trust to deliver that experience, so I, I would say that every single person on our team right now um, i I can trust that they'll make a decision with the same framework that I would have with that customer. Um, and so that's that's how you honestly scale these customer experiences is with the people that end up building tech or processes um, that allow us to scale. so that's 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 what's really different about the product. I would say from a user experience, it's very similar. I mean, there's a lot of upgrades and complexities that we've had to add to support different types of docs with a health system. You need an admin dashboard. You need different levels of authentication. Um, you need certain like security de-identification measures in place. But at the end of the day, I think the experience has been the same in which a clinician can just get rid of all their documentation um, by subscribing to Medtrud.
0: Wow, really? That's a that's a that's a bold and ambitious bold claim. claim. That, they can get here. rid of all yeah. their documentation? Yeah, that's uh, that's why we're here. So
1: obviously they have to review it um, for for each patient. But the time savings we see is one in which, you know, if a clinician is spending five minutes on their notes or 10 minutes or 15 minutes, they see a good high percentage reduction in that documentation um, and, and can get that time savings. And the more they get used to the workflow, the more they trust DeepScribe, They can start to almost predict like what it's going to get right and what may need editing so you don't have to you have to review every note but you know where to look right and so it's like symbiotic
0: ml human ml learning you know exactly that's pretty cool learning on both ends
1: exactly yeah and then we also have our you know human loop that makes sure that any blatant corrections can get corrected before our clinicians actually look at it right so um yeah at the end of the day i mean we're we're, we're pretty proud about the, the time savings that we can offer to pick clinicians.
0: Wow. The, uh, so if, if each note has got to get reviewed by a human in the loop, like that has to also scale too, right?
1: Exactly. I think, uh, that's, that's been one of our biggest challenges and, you know, continues to be as, as we scale, it's, it's a different challenge at every, at every segment. Um, one thing that we're excited about is with, with our series A investment, um we we received funding from index ventures who also back scale ai and a lot of the challenges you see with us um scale already saw and alex, oh that's pretty um, cool the ceo of, yeah the alex is ceo of scale is an investor in deep Thread as well and so um we kind of have this um we kind of have this like god tier view for lack of a better word on yeah. um, our operations and how we're scaling that's um, so and cool. so a lot of the problems they live through we can you know solve in advance so we don't have to face them again uh so that's 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 the analogy i would make and i think that's that's the reason we're optimistic that um we can continue to just grow the, at the pace we've been growing um and and scale this human loop operation
0: that's very meta and what yeah. i mean by that is that it reminds me of um because you know you you were t- we were talking about deepscribe and how it's built of like a component like different um models you know different algorithms that kind of work together and you know you kind of have like the mm-hmm. speech recognition you have like the um the one that writes the note and they kind of all come right. together almost like parts of a car coming together um, mm-hmm. and then now that you're scaling it it's almost like you you're scaling something that is already built of many parts and mm-hmm. um you're kind of getting you're involving another startup that is good at that you know what i mean i don't know it's like kind of like uh i guess how i describe it is like you know in our cell we have like proteins and each protein does a certain thing and then that comes up Mm -hmm. to form the cell and then the cell in our body we have different kinds of cells and they do different things but they come up to form organs organs form the human and then humans form a society it's almost kind of like Mm -hmm. you know it's like you deep scribe Interacting with Scale AI, interacting with Index, it's like a next level, higher order structure. Yeah. You know what I mean?
1: <laughs> yeah. No, I, I I was a little bit lost to be honest at the beginning of that analogy, but but it definitely makes sense towards uh, towards the end. Yeah, I think I think it's sort of this like nice symbiotic relationship um, where you build on each other and then you know work together to create something much bigger.
0: Yeah, and then yeah, now you guys will change healthcare for humanity.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's Hopefully, the goal. Right? Uh, so. so so I think, you know, the documentation piece of DeepScribe is what we're working on right now, what we're heads down on. And I think we can make the make a fairly big impact. But one thing that a lot of folks don't know about DeepScribe is we, as we process every patient conversation, we can actually structure this data, right? Um, and in order for a model to train on the data, you have to have a certain amount of structure. You need to know where the medication is. You need to know how the medication correlates with the side effects, how it correlates to a symptom. They essentially have this, you know, graph of what a patient's yeah. going through as they go through a conversation. And, you know, with the ties we have to different EHR systems, um, we can supplement it with other information. That's that's helpful. But at the end of the day, I think one big trend that we have the ability to push forward in healthcare. This is the idea of data-driven decision making. Yeah. I'm sure as a med student, you, know, you, you look into medical errors and you look into um, how all that works. And I'm sure maybe you've had guests on the podcast that have talked about that. There's this massive opportunity where you know five percent of patients are being misdiagnosed as of like 2021, um, and you know you have medical errors being like one of the major leading causes of death. And a lot, sure, there are parts in which you know a nurse may give the patient the wrong medication, uh, or you know you you may see like a fumble in logistics. But then you, there's this bigger idea of clinicians do making decisions based off of certain patient populations, or um, not having seen the expo- or having had the exposure in order to like make a certain uh, decision in the favor of the patient, which which is one major cause of. Um, misdiagnosis. So the, the goal for DeepScribe is one in which we can kind of empower these clinicians or any part any participant in the process, even the patient, with this kind of data to know like, hey, like these other patients came in with this kind of story, these kind of symptom progressions and link them to the clinical outcomes, so that on a generalized level, um, not just specifically focusing on like things like heart disease or like a specific thing, like we have data on a lot of different trends that are happening Um, we can kind of alert the physician and, you know, it doesn't have to be a, we're making a diagnosis for a clinician. It can be as easy as, Hey, I think you should really order an EKG for this patient just to rule out any sort of cardiac illness. I know you think it's GERD, but I think you should, you should really, you should really do that. Right. And I think by by doing something like that, um, that's where we turn from like a documentation tool into someone that's really trying to push healthcare forward.
0: Into something more like a Jarvis
1: Right? Exactly at Jarvis for doctors.
0: Wow, That, that would be awesome. Yeah. But, uh, so it's kind of like, in addition to doing, it kind of like, do you, would you say that your vision is also in, like kind of including these predictive models, perhaps even right. like recommendation? Um...
1: Yeah, exactly. I think at the end of the day, whether we build the models or if someone else builds the model on on the data. I think we we just want to be the ones to make data and healthcare a reality because I think right now you have a lot of these silos you have these big companies trying to do this really hard but in order to do that you have to buy the data from someone or you have Mm. to you know pay the patients to to get the data you have to treat it like this big deal to um to record certain things to get certain evaluations um, you have to make partnerships with EHRs. A lot of these things just take time. And I feel like at the pace we're currently going, this whole idea of making medical decision making powered by uh, recommender systems is, is not going to happen. Um, so I think the only way to make it happen is to be able to control the inflow of data, control how you're labeling data, and then figure out how to do it at scale, which we've done kind of on the back end at DeepScribe. And uh, you can just port over a lot of these learnings you have into trying to build recommender systems or just enabling um, this, like, perceived future of healthcare. Uh, there are a lot of risks. There are a lot of ifs. Oh, you yeah. know, maybe the recommender may not work. Maybe we need some other form of data. But I think as long as we're trying and, like, kind of make it this norm, I think that will push healthcare forward um, to, you know, 3.0 or 4.0 or whatever the yeah. latest .0 is nowadays.
0: I, I think it's really cool that the the what you guys are building is is literally like closest to the patient in the sense of you're literally listening to the patient and the doc, mm-hmm. you know and you have like that raw data that um i feel like traditional you know when people try and build these recommender their uh, predictive analytics like these kind of models they use like their lab values or they use imaging but they don't actually use like the words of the patient <laughs> you know what i mean mm-hmm. like it's cool like you, you know, I, I don't know It'd be, i wonder if you know if like a patient is short of breath you're, mm-hmm. You could probably hear that on the microphone,
1: right? Or... That too. That too. I think. I think there's this whole other side that I didn't mention around like voice diagnostics, like mm-hmm. you know being able to decide certain things about a patient from just a voice sample. And there's been published research about how you can, you know, for example, diagnose the top 10 mental health disorders through oh, yeah. a 30 second voice sample with above wow. 90% accuracy, which is mind blowing. Um, That's insane. But, yeah, it is insane. But right now, in order to do that, you have to work with patients specifically, set up a study, collect their voice samples, link them to certain diagnoses. But at Deep like that kinda happens on a natural basis, right? Like we're not specifically doing that. We happen to have a bunch of voice samples of, of patients that have certain disorders and certain diagnoses. Um, and, you know, you can start to like make these systems really good, get them out into production, maybe, you know, release an over there update that starts to give physicians insights into their patient's health yeah. uh, as they're having a conversation with them. This patient yeah. has a 95% chance of um, uh, having an anxiety disorder. It's not in the EHRs with diagnosis. Like you should, you should just, you should, you know, do your, you know, mental status exam or, or do something additional to just you know, verify that that's the, that's the case.
0: Yeah. And then you, pro- you could probably even get um, almost like longitudinal samples of like, Oh, here's like a, like a, not a thermometer, but, yeah, like an emotional thermometer of how this patient is doing, like, over these different right. visits.
1: Right. Exactly. Yeah, back, exactly.
0: Yeah. Wow.
1: Yeah. So many so many crazy ideas. I think it's just about getting the data in place. And then once we get the mm-hmm. data in place, right, like, there's, you know, it could go so many different directions. Um, and, uh, you know, with the right amount of funding, you can make anything happen.
0: Yeah. I got to ask a elephant in the room question. And that's sure. about... Um, one patient privacy you know like yeah. cuz you are uh, like using like do like do patients have to consent to this beforehand do they know um, and like you know de-anonymizing data like could you kind of speak about that yeah or sorry not de sure. i uh, <laughs> guess anonymizing sorry not de-anonymizing yeah. <laughs> you know what i mean <laughs> you definitely don't want to
1: de-anonymize data yet. <laughs> yeah 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 <laughs> so uh, privacy has been really important to us from from the very beginning um, you know just being having worked at Apple, having seen the debacle that Facebook went through, um, and then also being in healthcare, right, being a tech company in healthcare, you don't want to repeat those same mistakes. Um, and our philosophy has always been, don't hide anything from the patient. Um, so in the very beginning, like we make sure that our clinicians always ask for consent, or try our best. I mean, um, you, you want to make sure that the clinicians, the patients know they're being recorded, they, they know what is happening to that recording after they leave the room. And then Patients also have our email address and like a great way to contact us, and we're pretty responsive to to the patients when they do contact us. And they could ask us to delete their data, delete any trace of the data they have on our system. Um, they can notify us that they did not consent to being recorded, so um, and and we we can act accordingly. So it's kind of just building this bond with the patient, right? Mm-hmm. Um, that builds trust. That's how we've handled it so far. I think you know in terms of the future vision of building recommender systems. Uh, Technically, right now, um, we 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 don't want to uh, we don't want to use the same data to do that. Uh, we need to make sure we get you know the right consent, the right transparency, yeah. and like just yeah. continue this process with the patients so that they know what's happening to their data. Um, mm-hmm. We have the ability to de-identify it, but again, like de-identification te- from a technical standpoint will separate a patient's information from the information or from the from the uh, actual relevant content. Uh, so you remove the social security number the name the address the gender the date of birth um, and you just keep the information that's important and from a technical standpoint like that's technically sound there are laws around that and it works but i think we want to just go a step beyond and be like yeah. hey, you know we're we're it's not like you know we didn't de identify the data without asking and then it becomes ours like we still we still want to make sure we ask we get their consent mm-hmm. um this data is valuable it's very private in, in a lot of cases. So, uh, so yeah, I think uh, that'll be a bigger and bigger problem. But you know, hopefully, like we we can learn from the big blunders that have happened in, in tech and yeah. social media, and, and make sure that we we get the right people in in place to uh to, to get in front of that before it happens. Mm.
0: How uh, how many years away from a recommender
1: system do you think we are? I think we're pretty close. Um, as long as the privacy piece is something that we can get. I mean, you know, you have the technical change and you have the, uh, I don't know if emotional is the right word, but you have this sort of philosoph- philosophical, emotional, like perception type of change, right? Where a patient has to be okay with their data being used like that. The clinician has to be okay with something coming in and like recommending them. So it's this behavioral piece. I, that's the right word, behavioral, um, mm-hmm. that, that we have to get right. I think from a technical standpoint, that's um that's more than enough like what we have is more than enough to build build something like that
0: do you mean behavioral as in like like a zeitgeist kind of like a uh as in like how people feel about using having their right exactly
1: exactly Uh, the the whole perception privacy that you brought up um this is this is a massive change in healthcare, right so um with social media i think there were a lot of mistakes done you know the the jury's still out on whether or not it was a w for social media at the end i mean you had <laughs> yeah. right like in the last like, couple of <laughs> decades uh you had all sorts of, sort of data that you have being used and sure like there are privacy policies and stuff like that but um at the end of the day even if it was technically sound the or even if a lot of cases some cases are definitely not technically sound from a uh, from a legal standpoint, but a lot of them were, but they still got bashed uh, yeah. because the public opinion is what really matters at the end of the day. So, um, so, yeah, we need to see that transformation in healthcare in order for us to even get a stab at medical errors and figure out these bigger problems. So, uh, so yeah, I think the behavioral change is as important as the, the technical change.
0: Yeah, and I feel like medicine in general always lags behind, you know, 10 to yeah. 20 years. Um or part of the, some of the reasons that we're talking about, you know, of, um, it's like more sensitive data. It's more difficult to access. Um, right. Yeah. Oh, but so I I think we've already kind of talked a little bit about this, about, um, you know, recommender systems, but I was wondering, uh, you know, what, what's your vision for deep scribe?
1: Yeah. Um, I think, recommender systems aside right you know the the first the next couple of years we want to make sure that we close the loop on scribing you know we're we're a market leader but i think honestly that bar is kind of low um, in terms of the the physician count that gets us there so Mm -hmm. it's about just making sure that we scale as fast as we can this scribing system across the us Um, so making sure that every clinician out there has access to get get rid of their documentation uh, challenges mm-hmm. and can focus on you know, the more important problems that they should be dealing with. Um, but in the next, like, you know, the five-year vision, it's all around how do we use this data to, to drive positive change in healthcare? Um, and, you know, right now we're sitting on a data set that's the largest in terms of just raw size, as well as pretty close to the top there in terms of number of patients that exist in it um so we already have this massive data set it's growing exponentially um there's a lot we could do with it and that's that's kind of where the future vision kind of branches out um as being you know the biggest data company or even the first data company uh in in healthcare have you heard about google care studio by any chance no what's that uh so it's google's take on an ehr so they basically are building this layer on top of EHR that enables search Um, but if you're, if you're interested in the, the EHR innovation space, I would totally check them out. Um, They're they're doing, they're doing good work there and it looks a heck of a lot better than Epic.
0: Oh, that's good to hear. It's, it's cool seeing these big companies enter the medical fray. yeah, Yeah. I don't know if you saw today, Amazon bought one medical. That was insane. Yeah. Yeah. So it's like, oh my God, this, this is interesting, interesting space.
1: (laughs) (laughs) It's, it's, it's so awesome to see because I feel like we honestly got a little bit lucky because in 2017 when the name deep was coined and then even in 2020 when we like first released the product there just wasn't any hype in healthcare like mm-hmm. if people yeah. people weren't talking about it there are no articles about burnout but now if you search the word burnout on google there are mm-hmm. you know hundreds of articles on it yeah. it's a thing people know about it um, but they didn't know about it before so i feel like now we're sort of seeing this massive acquisition landscape from these big tech companies you know, with Microsoft's acquisition and nuance back uh, last year. And then you also see uh, this Amazon acquisition. I think uh, Oracle recently acquired Cerner. You're seeing, you're seeing oh, wow. these, tech, these tech companies um, get in the, uh, the, uh, the healthcare space. And, and it's great for startups like us because yeah. is, is now on like healthcare innovation uh so yeah i i couldn't have wished for any better they they say that like success has like a certain percentage of luck that's our percentage of luck right there like, like <laughs> getting getting burnout and healthcare challenges to be mainstream it's
0: a good good timing yeah good timing i actually was at a, a lecture about burnout earlier today and the doc was <laughs> saying in the past three years alone uh more articles on burnout have been published than than all of you know the history of medicine <laughs> you know like wow from 2019 like prior to 2019, all of the articles about burnout, that is actually less than the number of burnout articles published from 2019 to 2022, which is <laughs> That's pretty mad. Nice. Yeah. Um, this is one of our closing questions. I was wondering, uh, what advice would you give to uh, let's say, let's say to, to founders, like to people who want to enter this space who are feeling entrepreneurial uh, you're a founder yourself. Like what advice would you give to someone who wants to like enter this fray?
1: Yeah, specifically healthcare, I would say be scrappy and be naive. Um, That's one thing that really helped us at the beginning. We're not doctors. I've never worked in healthcare. Neither did my two co-founders. And honestly, neither did the, like, uh, until we got to six, seven people, no one really worked in in healthcare. Um, And so we came from a tech, like purely tech background. Uh, which was great because we started to question every single thing about uh, clinicians' workflow, about healthcare workflows, right? Uh, so you know we didn't take anything for granted, and we ended up building a solution and solving a problem that a lot of people with healthcare pro- backgrounds were just not able to solve. Uh, so I would say that's the number one thing is just be naive, and then the scrappy part is around, it's almost like a, a second, It's it's almost like a brother to being naive, where in order to be naive, you have to build You have to hack together things that you believe clinicians or anyone in healthcare would like. Um, You're not building this big refined product that takes years of development. You're building something in a couple of days. You're testing it. You're iterating fast. Uh, And I think that's what a lot of these digital health companies that are really taking off now um, have done from the early days. And that's what we did as well. That helped us get a lot of the early success.
0: Mm. I also want to ask some some personal questions. That's okay with you. Um, what brings you joy uh these uh, these uh, these questions are actually inspired by a doc that uh you know he would ask these of his patients, and I like them a lot, so I stole them from him but yeah what question number one is what brings you joy <laughs>
1: um what brings me joy uh i I think one of the things that I really like doing is looking back on um looking back on the journey right and and seeing the current impact we're making so like seeing the number of patients we've seen seeing you know the money we've raised if that uh if that um is is a data point that you know people like to to see or just seeing like customers come in the door and be like hey unsolicited this is the best thing that's ever happened i'm now able to spend more time with my kids i'm spending more time with my family um a lot of that just joy a lot of my joy just comes from just like zooming out and being like hey like Today we have a team of 60 people. They're all working towards solving documentation. Have some of the smartest engineers and just people in the world uh, working on this problem with us. And then you have the the impact we're making. So there's there's nothing that like brings me more joy. Um, even if I won the lottery tomorrow, like I don't think it would bring me such <laughs> as much joy as as just seeing the impact. Yeah.
0: Uh, question number two is, what are your greatest fears? Or what is your greatest fear? <laughs>
1: Yeah, I I think the greatest fear that I have, um, and and I always feel bad answering these questions because I feel like I come up with a much better answer after having 30 minutes to think about it, <laughs> um, but I think as of now, point blank, greatest fear is probably around um, the this behavioral component in healthcare, and right now we've gotten, like what we just chatted about, I think we've gotten lucky because it's been a priority for a lot of clinicians to adopt scribes. But when it comes to what's next, um, back in twenty like nineteen, when we first were piloting our product, it was almost a taboo to go and say, "Hey, your recording is going to be processed by the cloud." Uh, a lot of mm. health systems were like, "Can we do this on prem?" Now you don't get that question that much because it's the norm. Um, but can can this behavioral change start to be the norm where people are okay with um, letting? people train their models on the data as long as the privacy components are there, the controls are in place to keep the data identified. I think that's one big thing that we have to get out of our way in order to um, in order to move healthcare forward even more. So, yeah, I, I think point blank, that's probably my biggest fear.
0: Hey, I, th- I think it's good you're here early. You know, you're starting you're like one of the, the vanguards. You know, you're yeah. kind of paving the way. Um, the last question is, uh, what gives your life
1: meaning? Oh, man, we, we got philosophical here. Yeah. What gives my life meaning? I feel like there are a bunch of ways to answer that question. However you like to. <laughs> There's a cheap way I could answer this question and just say one word, and that's deep scribe.
0: <laughs> uh, <laughs> that's funny. That. <laughs> <laughs>
1: um, honestly, uh, Honestly, having the power to make the impact that I – that i'd like to make on something so it doesn't exactly have to be healthcare i i would be lying if i if i said that my biggest happiness or my 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 meaning to life is moving healthcare forward it's really not my meaning to life is being able to make an impact with mm-hmm. tech that has previously been considered impossible or like people are clearly not working on uh that still makes a, a massive difference on people's lives um so again like i think DeepScribe is like a great platform but if not DeepScribe, it would have been Being able to use, you know, technical skills, bringing people together, empowering people with a mission to solve something else that um, like changes the world in a very positive way, and then being able to just like write your name on that, right? Like you did this, um, and you're not working on uh, some other problem. Like you're not spending your working days and your precious life hours um, doing something that you're not happy to do. Um, There are a lot of jobs like that. There are a lot of projects like that that. Um, people work on um but just building building something that gives you satisfaction and being lucky enough um that i can have a livelihood doing it uh mm. i feel like i got very philosophical all of a sudden but i, I no, would that say that, that's probably what gives my life meaning
0: i was even thinking you know we were talking earlier about uh, like recommender systems and you know maybe and yeah. then the next step after deep scribe will be deep doc
1: deep doc <laughs> i love yeah. it the you open medicine. your phone, you talk into it and you get an instant diagnosis that's nine yeah. percent accurate
0: It's like instead of a Jarvis helping out the doc, you'll just have a Jarvis who is the
1: doctor yeah that 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 would be awesome. We can pull it off yeah, that'd be pretty cool wow uh and that's the any... kind of crazy stuff you can do right like as as long as you have this platform like you're you're in your own control, of course, like public opinion behavioral like that's the problem but like you can do whatever you want. Like if you want to make more money off of billion coding and, and moving upstream, downstream and work on the problems that people have already solved, you can do that. Or you can just pursue something crazy like building recommender systems. Um, and like, you know, the the team that we have would probably love to do that because it's just very novel. It's outside the box. Um, so, so, yeah, I think like back to the meaning of life question, it's just being able to 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 do things like that and even have the opportunity. So super thankful for that.
0: And I feel like that question in particular, you know, that recommender system, it's. uh I don't want to say it's like not the holy grail of like the medicine and machine learning space, but like I think a lot of people like to think about that, and uh, a yeah. lot of docs are afraid of that, and. Mm-hmm. You know, it's. I don't know. It's like a, it's a question that a lot of people like to ponder. You know, like oh, you know, are we gonna yeah. have like a recommender system for medicine one day? No, 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 no. Um, yeah.
1: I'm curious, from your standpoint as a med student, um, what what do you how do you how do you guys think about something like that? Because obviously, you still have this like I don't want to say naive because I want to give you credit, but you have this like you haven't been in healthcare for too long as uh, at least as long as like you know a clinician that's practicing. Mm-hmm. So you don't have that like I'm already like burned in perspective. You have this like very like just optimistic probably perspective going in. I know you had to do step and stuff, so maybe not as optimistic as you'd like, but like feel optimistic. Uh, so I'm curious, like, what you think about um, the the recommender system part of things and like medical errors, misdiagnoses, things like that.
0: And the what part? And what was the la- the second part you said? Oh, medical um, errors and misdiagnoses. Medical errors. Yeah, you know, actually, I um, you know, I appreciate you asking this question because it's actually <laughs> one of the reasons why this podcast was started. is because I feel like. Uh, As med students, you know, we don't really talk much about AI or kind of how technology is changing medicine. But I do think even in in the process of studying for step, I realized that, you know, a lot of these things is just pattern recognition or, you know, you kind of have this like vault of knowledge and it's like, all right, it's almost, you know, how like a key works. It's like, it's like on a traditional key, there's like a key and then there's like different parts of the key and then it pushes down and if certain parts push on like the lock Mm -hmm. opens. I'm like answering your question is like that where like there's just like certain parts where like if if it open like you know you have to push certain parts of your memory yeah. with it and if it opens like all right the answer is like vancomycin or right? you know something silly mm-hmm. like that um but i do think a lot of this especially you know at this early stage in my career um it, it's it's stuff that i, I don't think is like it's not like there's some like deep, like, Oh, you know, only humans can come up with a solution. No, it's like, <laughs> we have to learn this and it's all, you know, it's just a series of facts that you need. And like, you know, you're, yeah. you're given a presentation and it's like, depending on like what data you've been fed before, okay, this is your answer. So I, I think that, uh, I recommend it. Like you could definitely, you could definitely train like an AI model or whatever. Like your deep scribe could probably take step one and do really well. <laughs> It could definitely pass for sure. Uh, yeah. or if you were to feed it like you know, like the all of the former questions, like uh, you know, if you were to feed it like UWorld and like First Aid, whatever mm-hmm. DeepScribe could definitely, you could definitely build something that could take step and like that would actually be maybe be a fun little side project, you know? Yeah, you should that, totally like, do it. We we've reached like oh yeah, like we can we've we've built a system that can pass medical boards. Um, yeah, totally doable. But I think that yeah, like in the future um death i think recommender systems actually they probably should be a part of medicine you know just because like it's it's hubris to think that any one person could like know exactly hey like, always have the right answer um <laughs> and to have like you know maybe like a little ai robot whispering over your shoulder like hey, i don't think it's necessarily a bad thing you know Um exactly yeah so
1: yeah it, it's kind of like it's it's not even a recommendation as much as it is just surfacing data on something, right? Like if I was, yeah, yeah, I, I obviously, I was, I obviously have not gone through med school or or am a doctor of any of any sorts, but if I imagine myself in like a clinician's shoes, I would be really really scared uh, to give a patient a diagnosis if I was even you know ninety nine percent sure instead of one hundred percent sure, because I I've read the stuff on medical errors, you know, I've seen so many case studies like. I don't want to be that type of clinician that makes mistakes but like the reality is if five percent of patients get misdiagnosed every single physician out there is like making a mistake at some point
0: in their oh, career sure. which is
1: like a scary scary thought of the patient so just even giving them the data right like that's what i would yeah. love as a clinician uh because now all of a sudden like i'm making a physician sure so i can consult my colleagues but i also have this like almanac in front of me of 200 similar patients that have had that same uh, story and like I can order this test that I probably wasn't going to order before, um, in hopes that like I can narrow down um uh, on certain like you know diagnoses that could have a massive impact on the patient
0: yeah i, I think you know that that's what this is this podcast is all about, you know what I mean like, yeah I'm glad uh, to have you on here and you know like to I really look forward to seeing what you do with DeepScribe. I'm rooting for you uh as as Thank someone who's formerly. I worked for a company called scribe America. I was a scribe for them and they paid me nice. minimum wage I'm, and it sucked.
1: I'm familiar. Yeah.
0: <laughs> so I, I hope, uh, you can, uh, take them down. Cause they, they exploit the youth, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> they exploit young pre-meds. That's my, that's another hot take. Um, but <laughs> thanks so much for being a guest. Akilesh. Um, so happy to have you on the mammal podcast and thank you for what you do.
1: Yeah, absolutely. David, uh, Thanks, thanks for having me. It was, it was a lot of fun chatting about this and, and I'm sure like it was, it was cool hearing your perspective because you talked to uh, a lot of folks in the health innovation space and you probably have this like perspective that's been shaped by all your previous conversations. Um, so it's, it's great to hear that take and, and I'm glad there are no um, red flags with what we're doing so far that, that you've, you've introduced. So that, that, that makes me happy.
0: Oh no, you seem very mindful of, of them all kind of the ethical the deep ethical questions Uh, yeah yeah. glad you're you're leading this
1: (laughs) (laughs) thanks man